Well, welcome. Those of you who are hearty and here, I'm so grateful. And for those of you who are online and are a part of our services as well, we're grateful that we can be together. I didn't know what it would be like uh, one week into this Omicron stuff that's just going crazy, Omicron. Um, I always kid people. It's the, the Greek letter is Omicron, but they go with Omicron. Anyway, um, so Omicron has hit us, and we have seven in our staff that are down, could have more. Just have no idea what's happening and come to them this morning going, I don't know who's going to actually be up here and who isn't. And for the team that was here, so grateful for all of you. We just have people kind of subbing in places and they are um, wonderful gifts to us. Thank you for all those who serve in these ways. One other thing I wanted to say to you as a congregation, uh, both in person and online, you have uh, been a blessing God has, um, he has blessed our, our body. We uh, were trailing by quite a bit our, our planned giving and uh, what we had projected. And as we turn the year with your gifts, we are now $6,000 ahead of what we thought. So praise God and thank you for your generosity. Um, one of the things I encourage you that is when we hit this high, we go to January and all of a sudden we fall behind again right away because people have done everything. Uh, we encourage you to consistently continue to give, be a part of that um, in ways. I just, um, I get uh, messages from people. Got one last night at midnight, about midnight and uh, of how God is transforming lives. If you were here on December 26th in person, you heard from a number of ways that God's at work. And that's because of um, your giving of your own selves to this ministry, your commitment. Uh, I'm not talking just financially. I'm talking about how you have put your hearts into it and how you pray. And as, as one of the things we're doing is growing in prayer as a church. And we are um, in this 21 days of... Um, of prayer uh, and fasting, where we're talking about making space for God and encouraging people to be a part of that and to do that as we move into that. So I don't know how you want to participate through those 21 days. It may be three days that you choose to fast from food or you want to take some time to um, do the uh, kind of social media thing. I've heard people who are moving away from negativity. Um, A big thing happening in our world today in our country is uh, January dry. I mean, there's just all kinds of ways that you can go, I'm going to pull away from this and I'm going to open space up for God to work in my heart and my life. And what we want to pray for through this is what we've seen God doing. And that is to see lives who are transformed by the good news, the gospel of this incredible love of our God who loves us and runs after us and desires us even though we have acted in ways that have caused shame in our hearts and have hurt others and has offended our God. And yet, he still loves us. He still chases after us. And what we really would love to do through this time is to be a body that's unhindered and bold in speaking Jesus. Right? Bringing Jesus into your conversation, maybe at least once, because you'll probably talk about the pandemic about 50 times, or politics about 10 times, or more. You know what I mean? What would it look like for us to speak Jesus, to have the courage, 
to have the freedom to, in appropriate ways, bring Jesus into the conversation because the name of Jesus has power. Right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. I ask that as you take this message and these words that, Lord, you would allow for your spirit to speak um, with power. We know that um, it's not about, even when we witness, it's not about us. It's just about us being faithful to what you place in our heart and allowing you to speak the truth in love. And so, God, we pray for that and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, some stories are really inspiring. I, um, uh, a few years back, was truly inspired by a story where a person who had just horrible circumstances uh, had his culture, uh, politics, everything standing against him, and also his own fears. And it was in a time when I was reading a lot about racial reconciliation, and so one of the books that I wanted to read at that I felt was an important work to at least be familiar with was the autobiography of Nelson Mandela called Long Walk to Freedom. And, um, and in, his, uh, in his, his story, let me just share with you what one person who writes about it. He says, in the winter of 1964, Nelson Mandela arrived on Robben Island off the coast of Cape Town, South Africa. It was here in a prison that Mandela would spend 18 of his 27 years of a prison sentence before he'd be freed just prior to the fall of apartheid in South Africa. The racist regime in South Africa cramped Nelson Mandela to a small cell. The ground was his bed. He had a bucket for a toilet and he was forced to do harsh labor in a quarry. Contact, catch this, contact with friends, family, and well-wishers was limited. Mandela was allowed one visitor a year for 30 minutes. He could write and receive one letter every six months. And despite those trying times on that island in that prison, it became a crucible that transformed him. He faced circumstances that I just read. He faced a culture that stood against him. And he had inner fears, needs, that he had to process through. And he emerged from jail as a mature leader who could fight and win great political battles and eventually became the president, where he helped to create a new democratic South Africa. He, he made this statement, in my country, we go to prison first, then become president. <laughs> what I find interesting in that is he was in a position with his circumstances, with the culture he was in, with his own fears, where he allowed that place to become a promotion into presidency. That inspires me. That makes me go, what are my circumstances and what do I face and what's within me? He says, when I walked out of prison, Mandela says, this was my mission, to liberate the oppressed and the oppressor both, because the oppressor is bound by a prison of hatred. And I thought, that's pretty powerful. And it made me really think, at that time, and as I was preparing this message, as I was reading about the life of Paul, it made me think about this very truth. What am I going to do with the circumstances around me? And what am I going to do with the culture that I'm placed in And how am I going to live with and overcome the fears 
and, and truly understand the needs that I have in order to fulfill the mission that I believe God has called me on, which is to speak Jesus. And I don't know if that's your mission. As a church, we kind of assume that that's people's missions. You have lots of different missions. I mean, you have lots of different roles. Your parents are this or that. But what's your mission? And as I was thinking about this, here's a question that I want you to think about. If you, as a follower of Jesus, take seriously what it means to follow him, what does speaking Jesus look like in your conversations, in your context? And here's the question. What hinders you from speaking Jesus? I want you to think about that for a second. What constrains you from bringing up the name of Jesus in conversations with others? What holds you back from sharing how God has worked in your heart, not maybe just five years ago, ten years ago, or maybe even a couple years ago when you had a major experience with God, but what about the experiences you have with God through your daily life, and what does that look like in bringing that up to people? So the question is, what holds you back? Paul had all kinds of things that could have held him back. We're we're at the end of chapter 28. We're going to spend the next few weeks on this last chapter, these last few verses, because it fits so well with this idea of speaking Jesus. You know, Paul was this person who throughout his mission in speaking Jesus couldn't wait to get to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome. He he actually wrote a letter prior to going there to the Roman churches, which are a bunch of house churches spread throughout the seven-hilled city. So it was a it was a large place. In fact, one archaeological source suggests that the population of the imperial city in the first century was in excess of four million people. And Paul wanted to go there, but he didn't plan on going there the way he ended up getting there. You see, when he was in Jerusalem bringing his gift to the, to the poor, to the church in Jerusalem, he was there and the Jews saw him as a threat. But a greater threat than just the Jews was because we believe there is an evil, we believe there is a Satan. The greater threat to the gospel transforming lives was if Paul could in some way get from Jerusalem to Rome like he wanted to. So in Jerusalem, you have this story of people, the Jews, who tried to kill him. It's the old kind of, um, kind of old saying that if you, you, you know, shoot the messenger, but if you can't shoot the messenger, which we weren't able to do, then do your best to silence him, right? And so the way that, that he was going to be silenced was, look at, he'll go to Rome and he'll be in prison. How much impact can he have in a prison? Right? So we get to this passage of scripture and, and you, and, and, and if you, if you kind of want to just paint the picture of what it looked like for him there, he gets into Rome, he's immediately, cause he's a prisoner goes right into under house arrest. He's into house arrest. It would be similar to what our modern day, what I'd call wearing an ankle brace, what would be like. That's kind of what it was like. You can see um, we have a slide of like a modern day ankle bracelet. Um, and as you look at that picture, we know what that means. It restricts their movement. It keeps them guarded so they can't go to many places. They're very limited in where they can go. Now here's the picture of what the ankle bracelet looked like in Paul's day. He would have been chained to a soldier. Okay? And, and, and these soldiers um, would take shifts, six hours each, 
And, and Paul, whether he was chained in the home or the soldier was allowed him freedom to walk around then, but whenever he would go out for the limited places he could go, he could only go to a few places, he would always be chained to a soldier. And so a lot of Paul's work, he would use uh, Timothy as a secretary and he'd write letters and he'd pray and he'd do these things. And you can imagine what he was doing when he was talking with this soldier who had him six hours a day, shift came another six hours a day, right? That's what it looked like. And I think about this because it says in Acts 28, here's what Luke writes, verses 30 and 31. He says, for two whole years, Paul stayed in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to put the Lord, often you could just put king, king Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I paraphrase it by just saying for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. That's when you came under house arrest. It wasn't like we're going to pay for it. Um, we're not buying your ankle bracelet. You're paying for it. And so he lived at his own expense, and he welcomed all who visited him because he could have visitors. And unhindered, he boldly proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about King Jesus Christ. He spoke Jesus. And I thought about it as I was preparing this. One of the things I think that holds us back from speaking about Jesus is our circumstances, right? And, and I looked at Paul's life, and he seemed to use his circumstances and wasn't in any way hindered to speak about Jesus. He was housebound, and yet that didn't hinder him about speaking about Jesus, he, was, he, he wanted to come to Rome. He wanted to go to all the different churches. And can you imagine he comes and now he can't even do that? And one of the first things, when you're housebound, it's really easy. And he could have easily succumbed to self-pity. Anybody kind of feel that? You know, like you get, oh man, poor me. We don't see any of that in Paul. And not only was he housebound, he was physically ill. Okay, so some of you who are just dealing with ailments and, and some of you dealing with some pretty... Um, major illnesses. You, you take a look at the life of Paul here as he's in Rome. He, he used his circumstances, even his illness, to be able to speak Jesus. We're told that he was probably blind by this point. One of the reasons we know that is at one point in, in the letter of Colossians, he ends the letter of Colossians and he says, um, I am writing, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. And the reason he did that is because he was, it was like he had an amanuensis who would be a person who would write the, the letter form and then he would say, hey, Timothy or whoever's writing, give me it, I'm gonna, and he's practically blind, I'm gonna sign my own name so they know it's from me. And then you think of not just those ailments, you think about his physical illnesses that he has and all the different limitations that had come from being shipwrecked, from being um, beaten, from, from uh, times where he said he was without food. And, and, and you just think of his own personal situation and you go, man, his circumstances could have kept him from speaking Jesus. You think that's bad? Now you also read Philippians when he's writing from this place in Rome and you find out, he says to the Philippians, guess what, I got here and some of the leaders of the church are envious of my fame and so they're making it difficult for me and trying to stir up trouble. What that is exactly, we don't know, but we know he's in prison. It could have been that they were going around saying, yeah, we, we um, talk about what Paul has to say, we talk about King Jesus 
Which isn't a wise thing to say when Caesar didn't want another king, right? And, and so it could have made his situation really difficult. You see, physical wounding is difficult, but this is a spiritual wounding at a level that I think could have wiped most any person out. I know some of you have experienced incredible pain. Debilitating pain. I get letters from some of you who have come from some horrific places, and, and it's really true that when you come out of those places, one of the things that God has to do is heal that inner wound. That's why we have places like Gateway where we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to do the healing. That's why we often encourage people. We have counseling. We ask you to get good counsel. Those things really help. Paul was in this situation, and here he is with this wounding that's taken place He's being betrayed by the very team that's supposed to support him. And and you just go through all these different areas and you go, it just seems like he could have easily given up and not spoken about Jesus. You think how weary he could have been. He had this ability to reframe it. He had this ability to, to see it differently. In fact, we're told that he had an influence on the palace guard. You have no idea how God might use your current circumstances in the lives of others if you're willing to use your circumstances rather than to be... You'll either use your circumstances or be used by them. Right? And so he used them. Um, and, and it says that one of the things that happened in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 13, we're told his influence began to spread throughout the palace guard. 24-7, six hours a day, he's with this palace guard. It says in Philippians 1, 12, and 13, and I want you to know that everything that has happened to me, all these circumstances here, has helped me, is actually further the spread of the gospel. As a result, it has become clear that I am in chains throughout the whole, and throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So I ask you, in your circumstances right now, who are you chained to? Right? It may be that you feel like you're chained to a desk in your home working remotely and how in the world can you speak Jesus? Right? It may be that you're a parent and you feel chained to, you know, I just don't have time. My kids, I got this. What is it you, in a sense, find yourself chained to and what is it in that situation right where you're at God can use? God can be using you to make a change. We look at this um, pandemic, which now could be an endemic. And we kind of go, man, it's going to be really hard. How do we speak Jesus? But if you look at this, Jesus said, you know what? I have my own way. I can even use a pandemic. And I can begin to touch people's hearts and lives right where you are with whoever you might be chained to. And not only did he have an influence on the palace guard, we're told... That he had an influence on other believers. Philippians, again, verses one, chapter 1, verse 12 and 14, it says, I want you to know that everything that's happened to me here has furthered the gospel. Because of my imprisonment, here's something you wouldn't expect. Most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Isn't that amazing? 
Paul could have gone there and he could have gone to all these churches. He could have done this all on his own. But because of what happened, the circumstances he was in and the way that people were beginning to look at his life and the way that he was using those circumstances to bring about opportunities to speak Jesus and to see Jesus, it says that it was even being heard, the message of Jesus, within the household of Caesar. That encouraged other people. His courage worked to encourage others. I have a real sense that if, if, if some here would begin to say, God, I'm going to boldly, without any hindrance, I'm not going to let my circumstances use me. I'm going to use them. I'm going to begin to speak Jesus and trust that you're going to use that. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm talking about thinking about those opportunities that you are in where it's, where the Holy Spirit gives you a doorway, gives you a window where you can just say something. And if it leads to something or if it's just that and you just plant the seed, that's fine. But if you come back and you begin to start doing that and you share stories, I can tell you it will become something that be, is multiplied. It could be viral. That's what was happening in Rome. Because he was willing to use the circumstances and people saw how he spoke Jesus in those circumstances and they saw how God was working in those circumstances and then he reported that back. All kinds of other believers in meetings would start telling people about it. And when they told people about it, it caused them to go, I've got to share. I'm going to take a chance to do so. You have no idea what your influence could be like. The word of God, just think about this. The word of God is not imprisoned. The word of God is not bound by your circumstances. The word of God is not constrained because of some pen- pandemic. The word of God, as it says throughout Acts at times, is unchained. It, it'll, it'll never be chained. The spirit of God who lives in you has the ability to freely move wherever he wants to. And I say he because a lot of times when the people refer to the spirit of God, they say it. It's not an it. He is one of the trinity. And he is moving in the hearts of people if you're willing to use your circumstances and do what you know is right and be obedient. So that's one of the things that just that, that caught my attention. Now I'm, I feel like I just taught a little bit. I just feel like I gotta preach. I, I feel constrained right now. <laughs> because here's what I want you to know. It's so cool. There's the next part of it, and it's his culture. And we are so worried about our culture right now. We're so concerned, and, and people are, 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 are apathetic because you can't change it. We're so morally adrift, and people are looking at, at our culture and, and the direction it's heading and, and, and our leaders, and we think about our leaders, and if we could just get the right leader in there, and if we could get the right laws written, and if we could just change things in our culture, then we could maybe get things moving in the right direction. And, and what I find so interesting is Paul had no objective. He did not come there to try and get someone into Caesar's seat of power. He did not go there hoping he could try to change some of the Senate kind of situation in, in that area. In fact, you, you didn't want to really mess much with that because your heads would roll. Did you know that, that when we look at our culture and we think it's bad, do you know it was just a few years after this was written, a, a great fire w- went through Rome. Many believe Nero said it and what Nero did is persecuted Christians and what he 
It's recorded in history. He actually took some of those Christians, put them on posts, and lit them as lamps. And what I find so interesting about Paul is that he wasn't really, and I'm not saying don't write laws. I'm not saying don't, you know, do what we can to get the, what we consider to be good people in government. That's gonna, but you do not need to do it in an angry way. You do not need to do it in an anxious way. Paul was full of joy and love and peace and he recognized Catch this. He recognized whether it is a Biden or a Trump or it's a Putin or it's a Xi Jinping who is in power. It did not matter to Paul. You know why? He was proclaiming, as it says here, there is a kingdom of God that supersedes. Here's the second point. There is a kingdom of God that supersedes all the kings in this world. And there is a king who is in power, who has control of everything that's happening in this world. And that's the king I live under. Folks... We have to preach that. We have to move away from feeling in a sense of despair. Oh, look at how bad this is going. And we have to move away from the sense of anger. Oh, we got to change it. We have to move to a place of joy and peace and love because you are not under some other power that is of an earthly nature. You are under King Jesus. That's why he says he, he spoke about the kingdom of God and he taught about King or the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. And his whole goal wasn't to rewrite laws or to move people streets of power. His whole goal was to make that known. And his whole goal was to transform hearts. Because when he loved them and he shared with them, out of his bad circumstances, not fearing his culture, what happened at that point was that God showed up and he changed hearts. And when hearts change, so do laws. And when hearts change, so do good people of character get into those positions of power. It's not about our power trying to make it happen. It's just about telling. If we could speak Jesus and believe this reality... We're not living under some spread of Omicron. I believe that, that God is allowing it. We do all the smart things possible, but God's still very much in control. Right? And knowing that, knowing no matter what circumstance, you may be housebound. You go, oh, what can I do? I'm so housebound. My circumstances are so bad. I, I have this, this illness. Which, and again, I'm not trying to make light of any of that. Okay, I, I, the way I said it was. You can be in very bad circumstances and still use them for God. Ask the Spirit of God why you're there and who you're chained to, who he wants you to share with, who he wants you to speak Jesus with. Paul spent time writing letters. Paul spent time praying for people, and even in his letters he told them, I'm praying for you. Paul spent time with the people that came by him. You could be in a hospital bed, and there are nurses, and there are doctors what are you going to do with your circumstances and are you going to live? Again, I'm, I, I want to make this clear. I'm not saying you don't do good things, but are you going to live afraid of this culture? Or are you going to live under the kingdom of God and his king with joy and just do what he's called you to do? Some of you, he's called you to do different things in this culture right now. But do it with confidence. And then the last I just want to share with you is I just, 
This is really important, and I, I say this, this is a message that um, I believe, this third point, is, is probably mostly for the millennial Gen Z age, but I want to give the baby boomers the credit for making this transition that led you into this, okay? Uh, I, I'll leave the builder World War II generation alone. You guys were the greatest generation, right? So. <laughs> I wouldn't want to spoil that. This third one's internal. It has to do with our fears. And one of the things that Paul had learned through his life, and again, this is learned. This is a learned thing. He had learned that nothing could separate him from the love of Jesus Christ. He had learned that his identity was a son. He had learned that he was in Christ. That's why you see in the, in the epistles all the time, in Christ, in Christ. He learned that he was looked at by his father the same way his father would look at his son, Jesus Christ. And when he, when his son heard the words, in whom you, in you, I'm well pleased, um, this is my son whom I love, he, he took that onto himself. He believed that. He knew the father was crazy about him. Yeah, but he was a murderer, did all this stuff. It doesn't matter. The cross took that all away. He's a saint now. He started to learn to not live in, in, in his sin. I'm not saying that he wasn't a sinner, but he started to live in the side of that. I'm a saint. I am incredibly loved and approved by my Father in heaven. And we have raised a generation that's just hungry for approval. In fact, I believe it may be the greatest hindrance right now to the millennial Gen Z generation. David Brooks wrote in an op-ed piece for the Times a couple years ago, pointing out that today's young adults are phenomenally accomplished and deeply insecure at the same time. He notes that much of the West in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, those ages, have accomplished more in the first half of their life than most previous generations have accomplished in the whole of their lives. Brooks writes this. He says that a generation of recognized and decorated high achievers is also a generation of emotionally fragile, inwardly insecure high achievers. Tyler Stanton of a Bridgetown church asks this question to this. Why is that? Why isn't accomplishment, pursuit, and achievement producing confidence? Why is it only cloaking fragility? Stanton shares that the sociologist David Reitman saw that this was all coming way back in the 60s when he wrote, as adult authority disintegrates, the young are more and more captive with each other. I could tell you a horrible story of cats that had kittens that in my own home. I saw this, so this happens, folks, when you don't have adult authority. Now, that's, I won't go into it, but I, I verify it by an actual example. As an adult control disappears, the young's control of each other intensifies. See it in dysfunctional homes. He was talking about a shift that was coming, and even beginning then, that when deriving approval through authority figures was going away and was being replaced by deriving identity through the approval of my peers. So there was a time when parents and teachers and role models and elders held authority. So I feel smart when my teacher gives me a good grade. And important when a person of authority takes interest in me. I'm secure when I'm loved by my parents. And that all has its own issues, so I don't want to go into that. But they're not the issues today of our young adults. 
Because in the time we live in, the elder has been replaced by the peer as the new standard. So if my CEO doesn't think I have potential, then he can be dismissed as a power-drawn, tunnel-driven dictator who doesn't get me. Or if my mom or an old mentor or direct supervisor at the office thinks I'm out of bounds, so be it. It doesn't matter. But if that small group of friends to which I belong makes me feel excluded, that's unbearable. Now, living up to the standard of an authority figure is called disobedience. And I can live with that, says this generation. Not living up to the standard of my friends is called rejection. And I'm paralyzed by that. Henry Nowen says, many young people may be enslaved by the tyranny of their peers. In the trouble of being enslaved by the approval of your peers, by fears of rejection, is that it robs you the ability to love your peers. If you need them to affirm you, to like you, to make you feel okay, then you are performing for them, not loving them. Does that make sense? And that robs you of compassion. It robs you of freedom to hear you, to, 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 for them to hear, to know, and, to, and for you to even ultimately love them. Stanton, who's a millennial himself, says this, So my accomplishments may cloak my need of approval, but inwardly I'm emotionally fragile, deeply insecure, and always petering on the edge of rejection. That's the common condition of young adults today. But folks, not Paul. Not the Apostle Paul. Paul goes to Rome. He's approached by the peers of his day who he should want approval from. He wanted to go there. He should be wanting to impress them. He moves into the circle of power and elitism that should, in his own heart, want for him to be in. And yet he doesn't perform for them. What does he do? He witnesses. He loves them. Paul was free. And people that are free are dangerous. Do you know that? People who are inwardly free because they're secured by the love of their father. They're the kind of people who can see their circumstances and have the perspective that, oh, God's allowed me to use this for his sake. And see our culture because, you know, our culture, it, who cares about these people in power? They have their own power, but there's King Jesus. He's really in control. And here's the biggest thing. Inwardly, I don't have the need to be approved by you. I mean, I'd love it if you did, but the reality is I have one who truly approves me. And folks, if you and if I can move to that place in all these three realms, we will be dangerous. We will be dangerous to the world that Satan has control of. But it will take boldness. It will take this challenge. I'm going to ask you to think about this. Will you today drive a stake in the ground and make a commitment and say, I'm going to speak Jesus? At least for the rest of this month, I'm going to try and bring Jesus up in conversation. I'm making that commitment. Those of you in person and those of you online, I just I encourage you to think about that commitment. Second thing is this. I'm going to ask you to do another one. That's to begin to pray daily. As we go through these 21 days, pray for opportunities to speak Jesus. 
was talking to one of our leadership board. He was sharing with us that he had taken his, uh, he had surprised his wife for their 40th anniversary on a trip away. And one of the things he surprised her with was he had all the kids and grandkids also down to this place where they went. He was standing ordering something and a couple saw all that going on was asking him about it and he and, and he said yeah we're here for my 40th and a surprise etc and then the person said well so what's the secret and he said because we've been talking about speaking jesus and i've been praying for opportunities i said well here's the secret do these things like bring them to the no he did share that and then he said this is what i told him i said because of faith in my faith, and and because of Jesus, and just shared very briefly, wasn't the whole place didn't come and convert. He just used the opportunity, put a stake in the ground, commit, pray on a on a daily basis for opportunities, and then look for them. And the last thing is right where you're at. Don't you don't need to do it wherever you're at. Just be willing to do that, okay? Share Jesus. So one of the things that I want us to move into, you've been so good. Um, normally in a place like this, I just want to start praying and, and hammer this in, but we will, okay? Um, I want to ask uh, um, Tammy Shade, who oversees our global outreach, our, our our global serve team to come forward as well as Carlos and Meredith Block. We've been showing videos of Carlos and Meredith Block for the number of months from September through December. We in Thanksgiving time um, took an offering for their ministry to the Yanisha people and the Yanisha people. Yeah, I'm going to have the worship team. All you guys come forward. There's a mic there. Um, and the Yanisha people are the people in the jungle of Peru. If you want to listen to one of the podcasts of the church, I do something with them. If you can get more information that way through that. But we collected funds to help them build this training center that will not only help people in poverty through um, training agricultural things, but they also have a window um, for the people in Peru to share the gospel and teach the Bible to these people who are coming. So we wanted to help and, and give a gift towards their doing that project. This was about $80,000 or something like that. Is that correct? Yes. So do you want to just, yeah. Tammy, do you want yes. to just say uh, a few words? Yes. Carla, so th- oh, thank you, thank you. Thank you for being in the frozen tundra of Minnesota right now from the jungles of Peru. That's a huge accomplishment right there. <laughs> um, we love your heart. Your, your service and the fact that you're here with us and we as a church have been um, doing a fundraiser to support that ministry and that agricultural school in the jungles of Peru and we are very happy with our generous contribution as a church to present you with $26,260 well uh Thank you so much. Many things. Really, I don't have words to express our gratitude to Wiseheta Free Church. Not only this time, but all the time you were involved in missions in Peru. I'm here because two missionaries, Wiseheta missionaries, led me to the Lord many years ago. Thank you so much for that. It's really an encouragement for us. And now, better than before, because we are serving together. For his kingdom. 
Amen. And just a little more background. Um, we want to see Yanisha youth and young families thrive spiritually, physically, financially, and professionally as well. And this year we hope that these classrooms will be built. That's the plan. That all the logistics and the registration for the school in Peru will will come through, will take place, and that we'll be networking and consulting with people that will help the school be launched next year, 2023. So it's an amazing thing that these things have come together and that Peru has created this kind of school, which can be private and Christian and accredited in the system, which is amazing as well. And so we just feel like it's an amazing thing to happen and at this time and to partner with you in it. We need your prayers. Obviously, the Lord is the only one who's going to change hearts. Even if we try to create this space, he is the one who's going to do that. So it's just fun to think, oh, that's going to happen. And thank you so much for being such a great part of this. Thank you. Yes. We're so thrilled to do that. Did you have a couple photos you wanted to share with the? Yeah, as she shares these photos, I just want to say, um, as you look, raise your hand if you've been a part of this church when the Stavros were sent as missionaries to Peru. Um, and it, online too, please raise your hands, I see it. <laughs> because your sending the Stavros is, is, is how Carlos came to know Christ, and he's now gone from Lima into the jungles of Peru and working with the Yanisha people together with Meredith and um, and then you as a body this last year with all that's going on those three months you gave $26,000 God allowed you to be moved to do that so thank you we are so grateful I know we're excited to see what God's going to do and we look forward to having more reports in the future and after the service, if you want to talk to them personally, um, in the fireside room, we have coffee and bagels, and they have some things back there to share with you. So feel free to go back there after the service and meet them personally. They would love to meet you. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Um, and then you, if you guys would just come up here, we're going to just do what we symbolically do. We talk about laying hands. And so if you feel comfortable to kind of raise your hand as a blessing, um, again, um, in person and online, um, you can be a part of this. It's amazing how Jesus can work through um, his people. Let's pray for them, the blessing of God on them. God, we pray for blessing on Carlos and Meredith. Keep them healthy. Keep them well. Give them strength. And, and God, we know sometimes it's not even the physical strength that is is most important. Sometimes it's the spiritual stamina in these situations. So God, I pray that they would know that you are with them there. You are present with them. I pray you would raise up other leaders around them that they could invest their hearts in that this is not something they do alone. And that God, we would would pray right now, Jesus, that as your name is spoken and as your word is taught, that God, you would transform hearts. Your spirit would do that through the words and their faithful actions, we pray. We ask God that this would begin in this generation and go from generation to generation to generation. We ask, may your blessing cascade. May your blessing like a rock that's thrown in a, in a, in a pool of water, may it like just circle out for generations to generations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.